Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Quite a meeting today between two leaders of the Western world. and In fact, if you believe the headline on Politico, the President of the United States met with the leader of the free world in Angela Merkel. Guten Tag, hello, yeah. And, of course, I don't. I think that that's a good way to, to troll Trump supporters by referring to, we all know the commander-in-chief of this country. Uh, the president is the de facto leader of the free world, but they're trying to say that Merkel, she's like showing so much more leadership now. She's just, she wants to bring in all the migrants. Hello, who would like, who would like some uh, German cake and wants to come? And unfortunately for her, there have been some, there there have been some uh, political ramifications, such that now you have Merkel after her open arms, open door policy on immigration, beginning to at least sound some notes that are much more uh, nationalist and closed borders in tone. She even said, I believe as recently as December, that she was in favor of the burqa ban, meaning that you can't wear a full face veil. Everything else would be okay, but you can't actually cover up your face. And I I think that if you're unwilling to draw a line at people covering their faces, then you're willing to just create security risks, never mind, I think, uh, allow a really destructive cultural practice in your own society, but you're also enabling a, a serious security risk because you don't want to give offense. So you want to allow women to uh, walk around completely shrouded and act as if that doesn't in some way indicate that they are less than, that they are being uh, subjugated by their male uh, religious counterparts. So she's had to change a little bit. She's had to move things more towards, well, I suppose you could say the center. It was quite an interesting meeting today. And the reason for it is you've got Trump, who is representative of this surge in Uh, nationalism, but where does that really come from? You have two things coinciding right now. Uh, And you've got Trump on the one side of this issue, and Merkel is really emblematic of the other side. On the Trumpian side, uh, you have, of course, uh, securing borders. You have a nation-state-based, nation-state-first, and in our case, America-first, approach to politics and international relations. With Merkel, it's all international institutions, multilateralism, which is a fancy word for everything is a big bureaucratic meeting and you have to agree on all this stuff. You have to coordinate with a lot of people. My least favorite word when I was uh, working in intelligence was, you know, people like, oh, we need to coordinate those meetings. Let's coordinate. Everyone's always coordinating all the time. You know, let's just coordinate. Let's circle back and close the loop on that. You know, just bureaucraties, the language of bureaucrats. Um, But Merkel, 
is in many ways the epitome of the European, Western European or the European uh, bureaucrat, 21st century bureaucrat, who believes in a, a kinder, gentler, uh, kinder, gentler central planning and open borders. And that starts to get very messy very quickly, which she has found out, as have the German people and many other Europeans, the hard way. There are risks that come as a result of that. There are problems that arise when you do this. But you see, Merkel and Trump are two different sides of two issues that have come up right now. And that is, what are the uh, greatest issues that are facing Western civilization? Germany and Merkel on one side of this and Trump in America right now. I'm talking about the, the regimes more so than the cultures, although the cultures are also reflected somewhat in their respective regimes. You have this internationalism, this one world government, open borders. We can have a technocratic elite making all of the decisions for us and everything will just be better. Whether we're talking about the UN or the International Criminal Court or the World Bank, the IMF, just go down the list. All uh, the EU, these super states that exist, uh, these international institutions that are not uh, able to in any way be responsive to the needs of people in one state because they represent the interests and needs of so many different nation states, right? So you have that, and, and there's finally been pushback. And in Europe, the pushback is slow growth. People are sick of it. Cuts to the welfare state, they can't afford it. Uh, not enough population replacement. And now they're dealing with mass immigration and not just the economic costs of it, but the political uh, political and security costs. And that's why they there is this reaction that comes up now because they no longer believe, or at least enough of them don't believe, that those who are in The Hague, those who are at the UN here in New York City or wherever it may be, that are signing these international agreements and that are creating a set of beliefs with internationalism at their core. The uh, abrogation, the the eradication of sovereignty is the goal, right? We all fall under one sovereignty and they create a conception of what that will be like. People have seen after a few decades of this that it doesn't really work out the way they've been told that it will. And then it's unsustainable, to borrow a word from the left. They're always talking about sustainability. This is unsustainable. So that's point one, right? The internationalism, uh, again, to borrow from a famous work of former communists, is a god that failed. Because especially a lot of the people that are these hyper-internationalists don't believe in organized religion or think that organized religion is, they'll they'll pull some quote, oh, it's the opiate of the masses, whatever. They, They think they're above that. Climate change is not something they're above. They, they believe the world's going to end unless we all ride tricycles to work, and uh, you know, that's going to change things. But they, generally speaking, hold themselves apart from organized religion. So that's one. And then the other is radical Islam, and more specifically with Europe and Merkel right now, radical Islam and mass migration from the Middle East. That th- Those are considered to be very real threats in Europe, as they should be, and the people have seen it now because they've had years of the, oh, diversity is our strength, multiculturalism will lead 
to economic prosperity, and we need these workers. It'll be better for everyone. Let's just bring in everyone. Don't be a racist. Don't be a bigot. Don't be an Islamophobe. They've been told this for a long time, and now they're beginning to see the ramifications of following through on those policies, and they don't like it. And they're also seeing that in the case of Merkel, for example, uh, they've reached their limit, it seems, for a while here. Uh, We're going to be getting into the warmer season. There'll be more migrant attempts, immigration attempts, refugees fleeing the Middle East. And there will be people, of course, we'll see more photos and videos of this. There'll be uh, refugees who drown. There'll be uh, terrible human exploitation and human trafficking that occurs as a result of this. It is a mess. And after Germany allowed in close to a million in the last year of these refu- of these refugees slash immigrants and has had a number of not just serious terrorist attacks that have occurred, but also terrorist attacks that had to be prevented from occurring, which should always be factored into this. The massive security state that we pay for the billions and billions, if not really trillions, when you want to add it up over the length of time. Uh, starting with the real rise of radical Islam as an international threat to the U.S. in the in 1979. I know some of you would say from the very beginning of the U.S. Uh, Republic with the Barbary Wars, and that would be true historically, but it, it's been resurgent as a threat, and a threat on a global scale, global jihadism. We could say roughly 1979 is a good place to start. We've spent trillions of dollars trying to deal with this, and we've spent countless billions just on domestic and airline and other security measures trying to prevent terrorist attacks by people who believe they are doing Allah's work and they will strap suicide vests on or run planes into buildings. We are constantly vigilant because of that threat. And there are costs to our society and on our freedoms and certainly on our pocketbooks, as well as in blood and treasure abroad with wars meant to stop this uh, jihadist cancer from continuing to spread and thrive. Uh, But the Europeans under Merkel have now finally seen what this reality is. And they are saying, okay, we've, we need to slow this down. We need to have enough. And now I think it's fair to ask, well, if we were told for years that diversity is our strength and the more migrants, the better, and why not just bring in as many as is possible? uh, Why, why not a million this year? Oh, you mean there's there is a point at which there's no more room at the inn when you have a massive welfare state and you have bills to pay and your citizens get sick of paying the bills for other people. That can happen. What a shock. It is happening in Germany right now. It is happening in Europe more broadly. And we see this and think to ourselves, maybe almost unlimited in the sense that it's been going on for decades And not skill-based, not merit-based, but either based on just getting here illegally and staying or chain migration based on one family member and the rest of them are allowed to be sponsored and come at the front of the line, that there are drawbacks to this. That this has not been a good policy for the people already here. Because otherwise, I want to know, why doesn't Merkel let another million in this year? And maybe she thinks she will. That will be a fascinating political story to watch, but I highly doubt it, as I believe she has elections coming up. Chancellor Merkel has tested what the limits are of Western European tolerance for, well, those who have a 
predominantly different ideology, a different outlook on the relationship between the individual and the state, and yes, deep cultural differences, and an inability to arrive and and seamlessly or even effectively integrate in short order into the new society, this is a problem. Germans see it, other people see it as well. And, and you're forced to ask questions like, well, if this is not something that we're allowed to discuss, what does that mean? We have just given away all sovereignty to these international bodies, and the people that are supposed to be pulling sovereignty back for us in whatever we're talking about is us, Western civilization, Europe, America, uh, they're not allowed to complain about this. They're not allowed to say, you know, maybe we need to rethink the way we're doing immigration, whether we're talking about Europe or America. It's true in both in both contexts. We've just been so uh, inundated with diversity as our strength rhetoric. Uh, immigrants do the jobs Americans or Europeans won't do. And now we see, hold on a second, I, I thought this was all supposed to be great. I was told, we were all told, we've been told in this country and they've been told in Europe too, there are no drawbacks to this. That immigrants are just, it's always good. The more the better, it's always good. Doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, more is better. Well, they took in a million last year. Who wants to place a bet as to whether Angela Merkel is going to take in another million this year? And I would say to you, well, if they, do, if they don't use benefits, as we're told they don't, they don't use state benefits more than the native-born. Of course, that's not true, but people say this stuff and it goes unchallenged. What's the problem? If they're net benefit to the economy, if they just want to hit the ground running and work and, you know, they're from good families and they just want, you know, if that's all true, then why not? And if that's all true, why not, why not open borders? But they won't address any of these questions. They just want to yell at you, call you a bigot, call you a racist. And by the way, it doesn't matter if, you're uh, non-white. It doesn't matter what you're... If you don't accept these positions, you're a bigot and a racist. If you're a Muslim who's like, you know, I came into America the right way, and I'm not sure that whether we're talking about Europe or America, we should just open the floodgates here. I think there should be a process. Guess what? You're considered a bigot, too. It doesn't matter. It's about the policy, not about your background, and it's not even about what's in your heart or your mind. It's just a means of shouting down people that have a different point of view on this. So Merkel and Trump represent these very disparate views of what Western society in the 21st century is going to uh, look like and, and how uh, how Western politics and Western governments are going to be operating and what all of this means, the relationship between the individual and the state. This is all up for debate now, and I think we can start to see who's made some smart decisions recently and who is rethinking it. Uh, based on the Merkel and Trump approaches. But it's still early in the game, and there are a lot of multilateral, multicultural uh, internationalists out there who have very elite positions, and they do not want to give them up. No how, no way. All right, uh, 844-900-2825. We've got a lot of show planned for you, but I would love to hear from you. Oh, wait, can we do action? Can we do, yeah. It's Friday, everybody, and you know what that means. Action. Hope you're ready. It'll be here any minute. Movie. Relax, everybody. I'm here. Batman! Quote. Shall not pass! Fridays. That's right. Action movie quote Friday. So if you want to call in and talk politics, you can, or you can try to stump me with an action movie quote. 844-900-2825. We'll hit a freestyle here after the break. Be right back. 
Alex Sexton with America Now. We are gold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Welcome back, team. All right, I want to talk. I know it's getting kind of philosophical and a 30,000-foot view of the situation with Trump and Merkel and what they represent right now at this point in Western civilization, Western society. Very different views. Uh, Trump, the brash nationalist, and uh, Merkel, the uh, boring technocrat with all the charm of an 18th century Bavarian prison guard. Um, but, you know, guten tag, hello, it's very, let's have another meeting, talk about all the wonderful things we can accomplish if we work in concert with all of the peoples of the world, yeah. And Trump's like, I don't think so. Uh, but he had some things to say before the meeting today, which I think set up an interesting uh, dynamic, shall we call it, between these two. So much was made of the initial uh, photo op or the the photo when they sit down and, you know, they always do this thing where they sit, I guess it's in the Oval Office and uh, he didn't shake her hand. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't think Angela was like, come on, Donald, we need to hug. We need to get cozier. So it's not that big a deal, right? But he had said some stuff about her. Donald had been talking a little trash about, uh, Frau Merkel. Yeah. Play clip, uh, 80, please. So we protect Germany. Germany is a behemoth, an economic behemoth. It's being destroyed by what Merkel has done there, what she has done to Germany. I have friends from Germany. They're leaving Germany. They're leaving Germany. These are people who were so proud a year ago of being being German people. They were so proud. They used to brag. I said, you're still proud? Not so proud. They're leaving Germany. They're moving to other countries. What she's done, I don't know what happened to her. I thought she was a terrific leader. And I don't know, maybe she got carried away with herself. I don't know. Tr- tr- like tremendous crime. You- so you can imagine Merkel knows about this and she's not exactly thrilled. Uh, and Trump sat there with her today. And you have, look, Germany is the economically uh, the leader of the EU. It's the economic engine of of the EU. And... It is a country that's also important for a whole host of reasons we'll get into more in the rest of the hour for uh, the relationship between, well, it's important for NATO. It's important because Germany is a necessary uh, ally in the war on terror. They have troops in Afghanistan. They also have been willing to stand alongside the U.S. diplomatically, at least, with putting some sanctions on Russia in the past. So there's a lot that... A lot that we work very closely with the Germans on, and the U.S.-German relationship is is very strong. Um, So this is the first meeting between these two premiers, Chancellor Merkel, yeah, and uh, Donald Trump, and nothing really came out. The meeting itself was, I'll I'll give you some of the more interesting, there was one very interesting moment, moment, which we'll get into next on wiretapping and surveillance, of course. That That was the best part of the whole thing. So we'll spend some time on that. We'll talk about the status of Trump's surveillance, previous administration, Obama administration's surveillance of Trump and his associates. We'll talk about the deep state. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. Coming up, team, stay with me. All right, team, it's Freestyle Friday, which means we'll be taking calls. 
bounce around on different segments. Action movie, quote Friday, of course, in effect, too. Uh, and with that in mind, 844-900-2825 is the phone number. And we've got uh, Ann in Virginia, WKCI. What's up, Ann? You are the best. Oh, thank you. You are, you are the best on Fox Radio that I get. I wake up at 6 a.m., turn it on, and stay awake until 6 p.m. to hear you. Thank you. I appreciate that. This, uh, this is uh, Fox on Fox Radio? Yeah. Oh, wow. How am I? Oh. Same, same radio that covers, you know, Rush and Beck. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, thank you, Anne. I really appreciate you listening, and thank. please continue to listen. Anything else on your mind, or are we good? Yeah, what's your accent? Where does it emanate from? Uh, you mean what's my what's my background? Why do I speak the way that I do? Yes. Uh, I was born and raised in Manhattan, in New York City. I'm a hometown guy here in New York. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know. Sometimes because of my, I'd like to think because of my genteel uh, manners, people think I am Southern, but I am actually from New York City. I certainly don't sound Southern, no, I know that, but... Other. And also I have a side part, and I, I like to wear a uh, seersucker in the summer and boating <laughs> shoes. So that also sometimes throws people. They're like, well, he must be I here. love you. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Appreciate you calling in. Uh, people are like, Buck, stop talking about yourself. Okay, John in Mississippi, WBUV. Hey, can you hear me? I can indeed, sir. Okay. I think that woman was trying to seduce you. No, uh, she's just a she's just a very uh, she's an enthusiastic fan. But you want it, You've got an action movie quote for me. I see. Right. Uh, who does your taxes? Uh, an accountant. What does that have to do with anything? Oh, <laughs> Ghostbusters! You just pulled out some Ghostbusters <laughs> in a conversation. Look at you, sneaky! Look at you being sneaky. That, in fact, is. Rick Moranis uh, playing Lewis Tully, who turns into, I believe, uh, the, uh, he's the key master in the movie. Yeah. Vince yeah. Lothor, key master of Gozer, I believe, is his official title. My favorite part of the movie was after they have uh, destroyed the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man and saved the world, Rick Moranis, whatever his character's name was, uh, kind of comes awake after being out of it for a long time. He's like been possessed by a demon, and he says, "Who are you?" And they uh, probably uh, Ackroyd says, "We're the Ghostbusters." And he takes about two minutes to compose himself and says, "Who does your taxes?" That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He he has the party where he invites clients instead of friends, so it's a tax write off. I, I remember the whole that that building that he lives in is a real. They filmed outside of it. It's here in New York City on Central Park West. Um, and fun yeah, fact, I've actually played, I've actually played tennis with Rick Moranis before. Side note, very nice guy. Uh, like him. Anyway, uh, totally randomly, by the way, I don't hang out with fancy celebrities or anything, but I, I did play tennis with Rick Moranis once a long time ago. Uh, thank you, John, for calling in and a good, a good movie quote. I mean, I think technically Ghostbusters is sci-fi or some people put in the, in, in the horror section or thriller section. But I don't know. One of my all-time favorite movies might be the movie that I've seen more with my siblings 
than any other movie ever made. I think I might have seen, which is amazing that I almost missed a Ghostbusters quote. I would have, I, I would have been ashamed, ashamed for days. Uh, Liza in Kansas, is that right? Hey, Liza. Uh huh. Hey, what's up? Um, my son and I actually called you on Wednesday to just say thanks for everything. We were on hold, but we didn't get through to say thanks for everything in the afternoon show. But my son, Ben, he's the youngest member of the Freedom Hut. He's two, and he wants to say something. What do you want to say to Buck? Hey, Buck. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> you tell him she'll tie? Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> he tells you hey every day, and he tells you she'll tie every tell him, day. Tell him, can you, can you hear me right now? Yeah, he can hear you. Hey, little buddy, shields high, okay? Yeah. Shields high. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's like the cutest thing ever. Liza, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for calling in, and, and thank you for uh, joining me on the evening show or the the later show after we stopped. Uh, for those of you who don't know this, I had been doing, I've been working at the Blaze for almost six years. Uh, that was the cutest thing ever, by the way. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that. Um, I was wearing the blaze for almost six years before I was uh, given the opportunity to host, uh, to become the host of this show of America Now, now Buck Sexton with America Now. And uh, I worked for Glenn as a website writer. I worked on a TV show called Real News on the Blaze TV, which was used to be called GBTV, uh, and then became a fill-in host for Glenn Beck's radio show, for Sean Hannity's radio show, for Rush Limbaugh's radio show, and now I am the one in the lineup uh, after Sean. Uh, so it all worked out. Uh, but that is my, my background with this. And I was a CNN con- uh, commentator, contributor for a couple of years in there as well. Now you'll see me on Fox. I was actually at Fox before this on Trish Reagan's show. It's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, gosh, a lot, people love Action Movie Quote Friday. I mean, obviously, Action Movie Quotes are the best. 844-900-2825. We'll take one more, and then I'll get us back into the uh, Merkel-Trump meeting, and then we can take more calls and... It's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun show, everybody. Andy in Florida, what's up? Hey, Buck. Hey. First of all, congratulations on your on your new show. This is the first time I've managed to get through since you started the new show. So, much success to you. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, uh, sir. Shield tie. And shield tie, indeed. And um, it sounds like the Freedom Hut has gotten a soundproofing upgrade. Oh, yeah. You mean you don't hear, because I'm not doing it for my apartment in New York City uh, on remote, you you don't hear the ambulances and even the occasional loud argument from the street when somebody is double parked too long or something? I I felt like that gave the show a certain New York City authenticity, but yeah, we're we're in a a lovely studio here, a real studio with soundproofing and everything. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. The first yeah, day they brought me I, in, I it was like it was like they were showing me my new spaceship, like I was going to be able to travel, you know, intergalactically or something. I was like, "Ooh!" Anyway, you were saying. There you go. So, okay, so action movie quote. Okay, here are we you go. ready? Yeah. Okay. 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 He's blick. Uh, I think you're referring to uh, one of the Dutch guys in. Um, Lethal Weapon 2, where they have all those Dutch South African guys? Is that what you're referring to? Actually, it was Joe Pesci doing an imitation of a South African guy talking about, yeah. Oh. Exactly. Uh, okay. You got well, it. Well, I, I, I got the you- quote. That is a very obscure quote, by the way. But yeah, Joe Pesci does say that in the movie. I remember that. Uh, for those yeah. of you who didn't understand, he's, doing, he's doing a Dutch accent, and he's saying he's black, is what he says. But it's 
with a Dutch, uh, and it's Joe, Pe- it's Joe Pesci who's got a Brooklyn Italian act. I think he's from Brooklyn. Is Joe Pesci from Brooklyn? Do we know? I don't know. I think so. He's got sort of an Italian North Northeastern uh, American, Italian American Northeastern accent doing a Dutch accent. Anyway, but I got it. All right, Andy Shields, hi man. Thank you for calling in. Oh, and in case any of you are wondering, those of you listening, as you as you join the the ranks of the wonderful Patriots known as Team Buck, which just means you listen to the show whenever you can. Uh, two things. Please do subscribe, even if you're a live listener, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you go on iTunes, t- type in Buck Sex in America Now or on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, and Shields High is a reference to history deep dives we used to do where we would talk. And I, I will be doing some of these in the future on the show, probably actually on Friday shows in the third hour of the show when we've gone through most of the Friday news of the day. Uh, I have a, an interest in, in history that stretches back to, well, probably the third or fourth grade. And I've always thought ancient Greece, ancient Rome too, but ancient Greece is fascinating. The Spartans, the Athenians, and I find ancient warfare also to be of interest. So I've I've read a bit about uh, the hoplites in the phalanx. Hoplites were the heavy infantry of ancient Greek city-states. They carried a shield called a hoplon, which is where the term hoplite comes from. And we talked about how we talked about this and then we started to discuss how you need to have your shield up. And those of you who have seen 300 have probably picked up a lot of this the movie 300, although obviously that's very stylized. They didn't actually run around with uh, just a, a cape and a loincloth and, and a, and a six pack uh, and, you know, lots of muscles. They, they had, they would have had uh, armor on. And anyway, shields high is a reference to the phalanx. So it just became our, it just became a thing on the show. And we, Keep saying it because it's it's fun to say. Even if, and some people that like Star Wars and Star Trek are like, it's like your shields are up against a laser. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that, that too. Whatever shield, it can be that shield, like intergalactic stellar warfare stuff, or it can be old school Greek phalanx, hoplon, you know, the Athenians versus the Spartans, or, you know, Corinth, or name another city-state that sometimes used to throw down. All right, I've gone on long here. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Action movie quote Friday continues. Um, uh, we'll, 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 we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, I'm not going to do it right now. We'll be back in just a few, teams. Stay with me. And, and uh, they were sitting around talking, of course, as world leaders do, I suppose, when they're getting to know each other. And uh, a few things. I, I played for you before Trump saying some, some rough things about Angela. And she's like, oh, Donald, why do you have to be so, so rude, so naughty? And she, uh, you know, has a very different view of a whole bunch of things. We went over a bit of that. Trump was asked by a German reporter if he was an isolationist and had an interesting response to that. Play clip 65, please. Are there from time to time? Don't you think that this is going to weaken also the European Union? And why are you so scared of um, diversity in the news and in the media, that you speak so often of uh, fake news and that um, things, after all, in the, in the end cannot be proven? For example, the fact that you have been wiretapped by Mr. Obama. <laughs> nice, friendly reporter. Well, first of all, I don't believe in an isolationist policy. But I also believe a policy of trade should be a fair policy. And the United States has been treated very, very unfairly by many countries over the years. And that's going to stop. But I'm not an isolationist. I'm a free trader, but I'm also a fair trader. He also had to address, and it was probably the most, uh, by the way, he went on to, to say that that was fake news. <laughs> we missed that part of the quote. I was watching the press conference live today. I was over at uh, Fox Business on Trish Reagan's show, uh, Intelligence Report. 
uh, watching it on set and then re- responding to it afterwards uh, on air. A- and the uh, <laughs> the moment where Trump, re- in response to it, she goes, why are you calling all these things fake news? Not Merkel, but some German reporter. And he's like, well, that's first of all, that's fake news. So that's a classic Trump moment. But then he also brought in the... Uh, back and forth over surveillance and whether Trump has been under surveillance or not. Media, of course, is now pushing this with all they've got. Trump is a liar. He lied about it. He lied. I'll, I'll give you my sense of what I think is true and what's not with all of that. But here's uh, here was the, the funniest moment in the entire press conference where Merkel and Trump are sitting there and they're talking about surveillance and wiretapping of Trump. And, well, he had the following to say. As far as uh, wiretapping, I guess, by, you know, this past administration, at least we have something in common, perhaps. So you have Trump saying, you know, they've got that. They've got that in common. I I wanted to have uh, someone special weigh in on the whole notion of the deep state. In fact, we're going to have a recurring segment on the show going forward that we're calling dispatches from the deep deep state you are wrong we control you we make your reality the media does our bidding we are the state within a state we will defeat trump at all costs this is dispatches from the deep state hello everyone this is big sis also known as Janet Napolitano. You thought I was gone, didn't you? Not so lucky, Junior. That's right. I'm no longer head of the Department of Homeland Security, but of course, I'm now running the shadow DHS. I'm in charge of microwave surveillance and my favorite, the Orwell 2000 program. It's where we mic up the homes of any registered Republicans who get in our way. Cameras everywhere. Let me tell you, it's quite a show. Keep that in mind next time you decide to speak out against the Democrat deep state machine. Anyway, enjoy your short-lived victory party. This is Dispatches from the Deep State. Over and out. You got Big Sis weighing in there from the the shadow state within a state, the shadow DHS, the deep state. So that's one possibility there. We we, we brought uh, Janet Napolitano out of uh, out of retirement there temporarily for you all. And uh, let's take Rob in Massachusetts on WKOX. Hey, Buck Shield Time. Shield Time, man. <laughs> uh, long time listening. Um, yeah, I got a uh, action movie quote for you. All right, what do we got? Uh, given our uh, current uh, condition with limiting uh, terrorist states, um, it is the following. Here's the problem with terrorists. They're really inconsiderate of other people's schedules. True lies? Yes. I got it? Ah, bam. Yeah. Look at that, dude. I, I Thank you, sir, for... Uh... For for testing for testing the master, I appreciate that. Um, but uh, you know, it's good. you, you got to get up pretty early in the morning to sneak an action movie quote past Mister Sexton. I got to tell you, although it will happen now, people are going to call it. People are going to call in with like three words that they string together. And be like, "What's that from?" I'm like, "Well, I, I don't know. We need it. it needs to be iconic." But your quote was excellent, sir. It was awesome. True Lies, very watchable movie. A little ridiculous in some ways, but I enjoyed it. 
a governor from California can definitely fly a Harrier, right? Yeah, and and it's it's <laughs> unusual to have a terrorist fall on the missile on the Harrier wing and then shoot the missile <laughs> at another helicopter. There's the that whole sequence at the end is one of the most preposterous sequences in any movie that's like an action sp- espionage thing. I I mean, in James Bond, I guess you you expect that he's gonna be on a motorcycle on top of a plane and he's going to jump out of it into a, a motorboat. You know, you expect all that's going to happen. Tr- True Lies was was even testing the outer limits of that with that with that scene at the end there. And anyway, it was it was a, that was really Arnold yeah. um you know, Arnold. It wasn't qu- I wouldn't say he was quite at his absolute peak, but he was definitely in the in the zone. Yeah. It was a good movie. That that was a fun movie, that's all. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, Rob Shields, hi. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, hope you enjoyed dispatches from the deep state, by the way, because there's many other characters that will be appearing from the deep state. Uh, just think of all of your favorite, all of your favorite Democrats, not just politicians and members of government, maybe even some talking heads will make appearances. Who knows? But, uh, we've got the ominous music. We've got it all set up for you. So we'll have the deep state on this show to weigh in, uh, time and again. And we'll, I'll also talk to you in the next hour about what I think is, most likely true about, on a serious note, uh, most likely true about surveillance and what I think happened with the uh, Trump campaign and all the media right now, of course, is completely uh, freaked out about how Trump is going without any truth, any facts they're saying. I'll I'll parse through all that and and try to give you my best uh, former CIA analytic sense of what it is that could be real here and what is not. Um, So I've got that much more coming up. Action Movie Quote Friday continues. The show is just, uh, we're just rocking with the team. I don't even know what's going to happen next. I think we got a guest up next, and we'll take some of your calls, and we got lots of stuff to talk about here. 844-900-2825. Got an expert on Europe and the EU coming on, and we're going to talk a bit about uh, whether Montenegro should join NATO and McCain and Rand Paul fighting over that, plus Obamacare and much more. Back in a few. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are bold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, everyone's still paying a lot of attention to the surveillance. This is the main, you know, the, the main story in the New York Times, the main story... Uh, Britain, this is what it says in the New York Times, Britain livid on spying claim, but Trump isn't apologizing. I've got a few things to say about this. And uh, as you know, I'm a former intel, or some of you may know, I don't know how many of you know, I'm a former CIA uh, CIA analyst. So I have some familiarity with how all this stuff goes. And also a total side note, just, you know, we are smelling something uh, burning in the studio. So if for some reason we go off air very quickly, I'm sure everything's fine here, but we just, we are, we're dealing with it right now. So if you hear me drop and it goes to, uh, anything that sounds a bit funky, it's just because it's, I'm sure it's just a, a drill or something we're taking, we'll take care of it, but it's, uh, it's, it smells, it smells weird in here. Um, uh, so, uh, that's a total side note, but that's just for, you, for those of you who are listening <laughs> right now, uh, wherever you are, uh, uh, just be glad that you don't smell something that smells a little bit, um, off like, uh, anyway. So, uh, on the surveillance issue, um, on the surveillance issue, uh, the 
accusation that came, the allegation that came out was earlier this week, and I was there not for the first, I don't think for the first utterance of it, I think I was there for the second time, but uh, a gentleman that I have worked with on TV a number of times, uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, no relation to Janet Napolitano, um, uh, Judge Napolitano was on Fox and Friends, which is, as I'm sure many of you know, the morning show over at Fox, and he said, do we have what he said, by the way, or do we have that? No. Um, if we have it, let me know, because we can actually play it. But he um, he claimed that the British under GCHQ, uh, that the British were involved in it. Look, I'll, I'll just tell you what I, I remember. He said it first on Fox and Friends, and then he said it on Maria Bartiromo's show on Fox News, and I was there on the panel for this. This was on Monday. And he was sitting right next to me, and he made this claim that I had never heard before, that the British were tasked outside of the normal intelligence cooperation chain. And just uh, by way of background, we have a phenomenal relationship with the Brits and with with a number of of uh, our allies on intelligence sharing, but the, the Brits are at the top of the heap in terms of counterterrorism cooperation, all kinds of intelligence cooperation uh, with the Brits. We work very closely with them in, in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, as coalition partners, but I had never heard this before, and look, when someone says, I have sources in the intel community, people often turn to me and they say, Buck, what do you think of this? And I say, I mean, maybe the person has, uh, the intel community is huge. It is vast. And so is it possible that, of course, there, there are tons of people. I, mean, I, 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 I Most of the people that I know, or a lot of people that I know, not most of them, but a lot of them have moved on to private sector or, you know, have retired or no longer in the game. Uh, but people say, well, do you think his sources could be real? I, I, I'm Judge Napolitano has always been a very honest, straightforward and, and uh, gentlemanly fellow to me. I don't know if his I don't know where his sources are, who they are. Of course not. And you can't ask. Right. But he says he's got sources that say that the Brits were involved in a special request from the Obama administration to do a to do surveillance of Trump. And then that's why even if. Trump, as the commander in chief, requested from his agencies, as he has done, for any information on this surveillance or wiretapping, uh, even if he asked them, he wouldn't necessarily have this because it would be external information in the Brits hands. And look, it it doesn't sound like something that would ever. I can tell you this. I heard that. And I was like, Mur? you know, the the. Uh, the disc player went off, the disc man's disc went off the player. I mean, it was like, what? That doesn't strike. So the the Brits are going to do a solid for the outgoing Obama administration, for President Obama, maybe even himself. That would completely alienate uh, the incoming. I, you know, just take it on that. Never mind whether the Brits would want to get involved in any internal domestic political squabble. But, you know, I'm sure people would say, oh, but Buck, it wasn't. Maybe we they asked them and said it was about a Russian counterintelligence investigation, didn't specify that Trump was involved. I, I just, it doesn't, I don't buy it. I that's I, I don't think that that's what happened. And, and I don't know, but it doesn't ring true to me for whatever 
that means. Just as I said to uh, to Bill Hemmer on Fox, what was it, earlier this week or last week? Earlier this week, on Monday, same day. Do you think that Trump Tower was tapped? I said, no, I, I don't think that Trump Tower was tapped. Do I think that maybe there was a counterintelligence investigation that touched on communications that some Trump associates, not Trump himself, had, and then some rogue actors inside the intelligence community with access to that kind of classified, sensitive material uh, used it in violation of law for the purposes of setting, settling a political score and and hurting the Trump administration and leaking it to the press. Yeah, that all sounds that all sounds like it could have happened to me. In fact, I think a lot of the evidence we've seen does point in that direction based on the news reports and everything else that has come out that maybe there was some investigation ongoing that uh, whether it was intending to tr- touch on uh, Trump associates or it was just from foreign intelligence collection dealing with Russians, I, I don't know. Again, I've the the good part of this is I've been out of the game now for gosh six years, almost six years. Yes, yeah, almost six years, and or about six years. So I don't know anymore. If I knew, I couldn't really I couldn't talk about it. But so I don't know. But I do know how these things tend to play out and how they work in general. And I just don't see the Brits. I, I don't see that happening. And that, that doesn't. And I don't see the direct uh, wiretapping of Trump Tower happening either. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened, but that to me seems unlikely. Uh, what strikes me as much more likely is that there were people who came across information that touched on some Trump. So we know what happened with Flynn. Right. So you start with that. We know that somebody leaked classified to hurt Flynn and that that came from uh likely intelligence collection channels right that that would have been a cla- that would have been a classified a classified uh phone call that was or the, the means of well the sources and methods behind it of course would be classified but also just the content of it that that would happen because otherwise well why did why why did somebody know about a phone call between a US uh, a US person and a Russian right we're just led to believe that Everyone's phones are tapped at random. No, I I don't think that's true. That's not the case. So, uh, but the media is seizing on the lack of specifics, uh, shall we say? The lack. Well, no, the, the, we we can say the lack of evidence to support Trump's specific claim that he was um, wiretapped by President Obama. And now I've I've been willing to say that I think that it was the administration. Uh, that he meant the the administration, not that Obama ordered a wiretap on Trump himself personally, which has now been put out there as an as an allegation as part of this. That I don't think is true. Uh, I don't think that President Obama himself said that we should they should wiretap Donald Trump. I, I don't buy that. Uh, but that doesn't mean again that there aren't some rogue actors inside. And this is and these are the, what people are referring to as the deep state. And, and, you know, I know we were making some jokes about that, in, or, you know, we had a joke segment about it in the last hour. Keep in mind, the deep state in other places is a, they overturn elections, and it's usually military intelligence and some corporate interests working together that are more powerful than the elected government. A few people in the intelligence community or some small minority of those with access to classified may be able to act in a deep state. They may be able to use deep state tactics, but I think it's a stretch to suggest that they're part of the deep state. They are part of the permanent bureaucracy, which skews left politically, 
And that's something that we have to address and deal with. Um, but in general, we should just try to be accurate with the, the deep state discussion and allow it to turn into a crazy conspiracy. The As I said, Judge Napolitano said it right to me, and I, on the spot, I'm not going to challenge. I, I know the judge. He's a smart guy. and He's a good guy. I like him. I'm not going to challenge his sources as being, well, you know, fabrications, obviously. I don't know that, and that would be wrong of me. But it didn't sound like it was true. And now the Brits have come out, and, of course, people that believe the story are going to say, well, of course the Brits would say this, right? They, What else are they going to say? The Brits have come out and said they're livid. Usually the British don't speak on any intelligence matters, by the way. In fact, the British, under the Official Secrets Act, have a really have really onerous restrictions on what British nationals can say, including their press. In this country, let me just let me just drop a little uh, little national security law knowledge here for a second. In this country, there is a perception, and it's so widespread among journalists that I've spoken to journalists. In fact, I, in fact, I even spoke to a uh, a lawyer who does First Amendment cases for one of the largest media organizations in the country, who argued with me on this, and then I was like, okay, sir, let's. Show me the law where I'm wrong, because I'm not wrong. Journalists think that because in the past they've been able to publish classified material, that they are exempt from the Espionage Act and the laws that deal with such a publication. It's actually not true. There's no specific, oh, I'm a journalist, so I can do this exemption. What is true is that historically and traditionally, the Justice Department has refrained from bringing national security prosecutions against journalists who publish classified information that has been leaked to them. Now, with the Obama administration, of course, they started to investigate journalists as though they were co-conspirators. You have James Rosen over Fox News can tell you all about that. And of course, the Associated Press's phone records were seized. So we are in a more precarious place for First Amendment freedoms than we've been in a long time, I think. That is fair to say, especially when we talk about freedom of the press. But I just want to establish as a matter of as a matter of law, there's no I'm a journalist. So I can. And and if you really want to play this out in your head, just think. So if a journalist got, let's say, the, you know, U.S. nuclear codes and decided to to print them, not to get not to sell them to, you know, North Korea, but to print them, everybody would just be okay with that. Really? You think that would be that? That's. Oh, yeah. First Amendment. You really? Hmm. Uh, I think there are limits. Uh, I think there are limits to this. And uh, we haven't tested the outer limits yet because most, like most people, I think, even themselves, most American citizens, even journalists, recognize that they shouldn't undermine uh, U.S. national security for their for just either their own amusement or their own political agenda or whatever it may be. Um, but I just think that's interesting. So many journalists I talk to who think they know a lot of, oh, you know, we can't, we can't be touched by those laws. Well, you're not, but just keep in mind that you actually could be. And that's something that, uh, I think is an interesting area of law, um, especially as you have a lot of people who are now on the outside, who had been on the inside of government, who had clearances, who are now, I mean, every, every former CIA, DIA, NSA director, they're all, they're all out there giving speeches, talking about everything all the time. You know, are they journalists? Oh, no, they don't get to be journalists, but they kind of do. They are. Uh, anyway, so uh, on the British side of the equation, though, by the way, um, on the British side of the equation, they don't care. Uh, if you violate the Official Secrets Act, you are in a lot of trouble. There's no like, oh, but but sir, I'm, I, I'm in the press. I, I get to publish whatever I want. No, that's not how it goes. Um, I got to work on my posh British accent. Oh, hello, sir. I'm just going to publish state secrets. It's going to be fantastic. 
but that's that's a distinction between us and them. Anyway, the Brits say they didn't do this. I don't know what the judge is going to say about this. Maybe we could have him on the show next week and he could explain to me what he wants to if he wants to. Uh, producer Amy, why don't we see if Judge Napolitano wants to come on and talk to us about this? Um, I'd like to hear from him what he thinks. About, I mean, I, I assume he'll say, well, of course the British deny this, but it seems it seemed a little far-fetched to me at the time. Doesn't mean he's wrong. Doesn't mean he's not telling the truth. It just means it's that would be a wow moment. That would be really very surprising. So I've told you where I am on this. I, I think that there may have been, based on the, based just on the press reporting I've read, a counterintelligence investigation going on, which is happening in a variety of aspects and all over the place, uh, where the, there was Russian, there were Russians, and there may have been some contacts with Trump people. And instead of the protections that are supposed to exist in that process, someone on the inside, and we know this from the Flynn case, may have said, "Oh, well, this will add to that whole Russia-Trump conspiracy theory. So let's leak the Flynn uh, story, which happened." Or, you know, leak about Flynn's phone call with Ambassador Kislyak and also to talk about other things that may be going on. So that's I think that's where we are right now with the facts on all of this. Um, And the focus, of course, is going to be from so many on how here Anderson Cooper. Let's just play this real quick. Anderson Cooper over at CNN says the president has no facts. That's what he's saying. Seventy one. Go. Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. We know the president of the United States has no facts. I mean, there you go. <laughs> That's that. That is the quote, and that is what he said. The president has no facts. Seems like an overstatement to me, but CNN, you do you, CNN, you do you. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five eight four four nine hundred buck. Action movie quotes are in effect. If you want to call in, light up those lines, talk about whatever you want, and uh, we're gonna check out, make sure that funky smell is totally gone from inside the Freedom Hut, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, Team Buck. Uh, all seems to be clear in the Freedom Hut, which is great. We were a little concerned there for a second, but uh, no worries. We're good in here now. Uh, we have Jody in California on KFNY. Hey, Jody. How's it going, Buck? We're here on the movie quotes, and uh, I, I, it's one of my favorite action movies. My friend Matthew Nightingale let me borrow it. It's The Postman. And Buck? Yeah, I'm listening. The yeah. Postman? Uh, is that the Kevin uh, Costner uh, movie? Yeah, remember when the United States uh, they went into war with the general and his and his military? I didn't. I mean, not to not to raid on your parade here, Jody, but didn't that didn't that movie make like five dollars in the box office? I feel I I have a, some recollection of it being a bit of a flop. No. Yeah, and it was a very long movie, and it was ridiculous with all these laws that the general had. And at the end, I never the saw the movie. Oh, the postman challenges him. And he's like, I acquired law number seven. I challenge you for the clan, just so you could say from from both sides, from spreading a lot of killing if they went into war. Then the general from the other side was like, "This one, this is a good quote." And he was like, and he's like, Shakespeare, the one who didn't want to fight, because uh, before he was the postman, he he did Shakespeare. Okay, um, I, I don't know. Th- I don't know this movie, so I don't know the quote, and I'm not sure we'd say it's an action movie, but maybe I have to take your word for it because I've never seen it. Anything else, Jody? Are we going to uh, let you get back to stuff? Yeah, dude, it was it was a ridiculous movie, man. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, Jody, thank you. Our California calls, I gotta say, a lot of fun. Did we? What's the guy the other day who was like UFOs and aliens, bro? You're, like, flying around your head, like, hey, what's up, man, Area 51 and stuff. 
with the UFOs and like beep beep and stuff. Good times, good times. It's tough to go into now a serious discussion of whether Montenegro should be uh, one of the uh, NATO member states. Uh, so we might have to put that on hold for a second here until we get until we get back on track. I think we'll have a, we'll have our uh, guest joining us in a few minutes to talk about all things Europe and uh, and the direction of the EU of NATO, uh, any number of issues, and also the the spat, the fight between Rand Paul and. Senator John McCain, uh, Senator Paul, surly Senator Paul is my favorite. He can be a little bit of a, he can have a little bit of a laid back surfer dude thing sometimes. He's just like, I mean, let's just like legalize the weed, man. But you mess with Rand Paul on some libertarian stuff. And all of a sudden he's like, well, why don't you just come on down and we'll settle this like men. You're like, whoa, Rand Paul is getting, it's ready to throw down. Um, and of course, John McCain is John, you know, is John McCain doing Vladimir Putin's work. That's what he says. We actually have the quote. You can hear from him, and uh, you can hear the quote from him in, in a few minutes. Pat in Massachusetts, uh, WHYN. How are you doing, Pat? Doing fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for calling in. Hey, I'm, I called this time because of your reference to your um, advisor at Amherst College. Hadley Arkies, yes. Yes, he was the highest profile academic in Massachusetts who was pro-life. I, I used to be very involved in the pro-life movement. Yeah, Hadley was very pro-life, always, and was part of the born, part of the drafting of the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Very, very, well, anyway, we knew him because he would be invited to functions and things like that. So I said, you would be a good person for me to ask this question. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here, but we got the music playing because we got 15 seconds. Oh, can you tell me if you think... Uh, Donald Trump is going to do anything about the plank in the platform to um, maybe get a pro-life amendment passed. Uh, I can on the other side of the break. Thank you for calling in, Pat. We'll be right back, everybody. He's an ex-spy, trained by the CIA, who knows how to outsmart the enemies of liberty. What I do have a very particular set of skills. Buck Sexton with America Now. Team, your mission, should you choose to accept it, call the Freedom Hunt Operations Center, 888-900-BUCK. Make contact. Unless you're under hostile surveillance. 888-900-2825. Well, the range is hot. Germany, with this one from the foreign ministry, they say that uh, Trump, quote, uses rudeness to compensate for his weakness like Putin. It's funnier in the original German. Uh, let's get into some of this with our next guest. James Kerchick is on the line. He's a fellow with the Foreign Policy Initiative. He's also the author of the brand new book called The End of Europe, Dictators, Demagogues, and the Coming Dark Age. James, great to have you. Thank you. Uh, what do you think of the meeting today between Putin, I mean, well, between Putin and Merkel, sorry, between Trump and Merkel, uh, and now we've got the German foreign ministry getting a little, getting a little sassy, and, and also we're hearing that, uh, uh, well, there was that, there was that line from Merkel earlier in the day, better to talk to people than about them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually have to agree with the Germans on this. I thought Donald Trump was really rude, and it, and it reminded me of the way that Barack Obama treated Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean... You know, Israel is our closest ally in the Middle East, really the only country there that shares our values. And from the moment he entered office, Barack Obama had a problem with it. And it was a real, uh, I think that was the, the origins of the disastrous Obama foreign policy in the Middle East was because he didn't see that Israel was an ally. And I fear that Donald Trump has the same attitude 
to our own allies. I mean, Germany is an ally and a friend of the United States, and this is ridiculous for him to be treating a German chancellor, who herself is very pro-American, by the way. Um, I thought it was just really um, in, inconsiderate. What was the? I mean, they, they did you? Where was? Are you referring to the not shaking the hand? Or yeah, that just, was really that. I thought was rude, and also just the way he conducted himself during the press conference. But I, I mean, we're, we're we're used to that by now with the this, these endless conspiracy theories. You know, while we're on the topic of America's allies, accusing our closest ally, the United Kingdom, of spying on on him. I mean, that's just preposterous. Yeah, I dealt, I dealt with that one before you came on. That's, uh, that's, yeah. not, that's not passing the smell test, unfortunately. And it's, so. and it's very similar. And it's just similar to the way Obama, he alienated lots of our allies, not just Israel. We can go through a whole list of countries. And Trump seems to be doing the same thing. I mean, he attacked Angela Merkel on the campaign trail more than any other leader in the world and had nothing but nice things to say about Vladimir Putin, who is a legit enemy of this country. I just, I, I, I don't get it. There were some nice. The, to to be fair to the to what Trump said in the press conference, and I I know that the no no handshake thing, people pointed that out. I mentioned that, and he did say I, I played the audio. He was saying that Merkel's destroyed. Now I do think Merkel's decision to, and I think we can also transition into how this uh, is a tie into your book in a moment. But Merkel's yeah. decision to allow an, a million immigrants from the Muslim world is viewed by a lot of her countrymen as a as yeah. a disastrous decision. I, I don't think that's. Uh, it may be a controversial discussion, but I don't think that's a, a rare point of view in, in Germany. Not at all, but it was, I, I, I didn't think it was appropriate to bring it up in, a, uh, in the U.S. presidential campaign. I mean, there's no prospect of America facing a million Muslim refugees. I think I discussed this with you last time on the show. I mean, we have two oceans on either side of us. What happened in Europe in 2015, 2016, it's not going to happen in the United States. And so... For him to keep on talking about that, I thought it was a false issue. I think he was doing it for a domestic political audience that, um, you know, fears Muslim immigration, didn't want to take any refugees at all. But for, I mean, but for Americans, the, the, the prospect of a million Muslim migrants coming, it's irrelevant. And so I didn't see why he had to keep on attacking her throughout the campaign. I just thought it was useless. It didn't make any sense. Now, he said that their allies, and clearly Germany is is essential, well, uh, essential to the EU for economic reasons and essential yeah. to NATO because it right. it, it does have a, a military that has been deployed with us in Afghanistan for a yep. long time now. Afghanistan, I think yep. a lot of people forget, uh, ISAF is a is a, is a, NATO, NATO, a NATO mission, and we, it's, a, it's under a NATO aegis, the International Security Assistance Force, Afghanistan. Uh, so this is now a place where I think we're going to see uh, some efforts to, what, force them to pay more, but also to bolster the alliance? Where do you see the NATO aspect of this going? Well, I think the Germans are already getting the message, and over the last year they've increased their defense spending by 8%. Um, and let's, let's, let's understand, I mean, it, it, they're spending maybe 1.3% of their GDP on defense. They need to make the 2% threshold. And that takes time. I mean, you just can't, you know, overnight double your defense spend. You have to make sure the money's going to the right places. But I think that, you know, under this German government, they have been moving in, in, in that direction. But it's, I think it's more important than just this kind of arbitrary 2% figure. It's, you know, it's where's the money going? How is it being used? And also there are other measures of commitment to the alliance than just money. I mean, take a country like Denmark, which is a you know, small country. They only spend maybe 1.5, 1.6%. They're also below the 2% threshold, but they have lost more soldiers per capita in Afghanistan than any other country uh, besides the U.S. I mean, I think that should count for something. So I think there's, there's other ways of, of measuring commitment and sacrifice than just money. 
Um, by the way, I wanted to play, and then we're gonna. I want to transition into your book and and how you yeah. place Merkel in uh, the thesis that you you deal with in your book, The End of Europe. Uh, but first, we do have the Napolitano GCHQ uh, sound, so play it, please. Three intelligence sources have informed Fox News that President Obama went outside the chain of command. He didn't use the NSA, he didn't use the CIA, he didn't use the FBI, and he didn't use the Department of Justice. He used GCHQ. What the heck is GCHQ? That's the initials for the British spying agency. They have 24-7 access to the NSA database. Uh... I don't know who told him this or if someone told him this, but when I heard it, I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yeah, no, that's... And, 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 and that the administration would go with this, but I didn't mean to interrupt you, James, but just really quickly so everybody knows. Yeah. The whole Trump, oh, I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from, okay, DOJ, I think, said just today at around 5 o'clock uh, Eastern that they've responded to the request about whether there was surveillance going on. He's a commander-in-chief. Anything that falls under national security purview, there's different stuff when it comes to criminal investigations, and he could actually, you know, the the, uh, the president can't just be like, well, you know, do this for, for a criminal justice right. system. But on right. under the national security side, he can ask for anything, and he can declassify anything. Exactly. And also, I mean, Judge Napolitano, if I'm not mistaken, is a 9-11 conspiracy theorist. He no, said that. He's, is he? Re- no, come on, yeah, he really? Is, he said, yeah, he was one of these Tower 7 with a you know, controlled explosion type people. I, I don't um, know that about him. I'm going to have to look yeah. up and see if that's true. I know that CNN yeah. has a couple of 9-11 truthers on the payroll, yeah, but I do. Yeah, it is. And he's also, I, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, he called him a great legal mind today. I mean, he's sort of like a Ron Paul libertarian type. He's a bit of a paranoid when it comes to government and government powers. And you know the surveillance state and whatnot. So you well, know this is this is a tough one because now it, it, the British are saying there's a total lie, uh, right? You know who within if there were sources within the intel community who knew about this and they thought it was so important that they'd bring it to the attention of somebody at Fox News who then brought it to the attention of the president <laughs> who then made the same claim, right? I would think that now someone might be willing to speak out to another news outlet and be like, no, no, this really happened. The Brits are covering their tracks. If right. we hear nothing, if we hear crickets, it's suspicious to me. Well, and let's also look at the grand hypocrisy here of Donald Trump, who's spent the past two months railing against leaks, illegal leaks against him. Now, all of a sudden, they're citing, you know, leaks, supposed leaks that are attacking President Obama. So it's just totally hypocritical. Well, uh, I want to ask about Merkel, because it seemed to me yeah. that you, your, your tone, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you seem to be... Uh, positively disposed towards Merkel, not as a, as a person. I'm, I'm assuming you don't know her. You guys don't hang out, and uh, no. but but yeah, but as a leader, you think that she's done a pretty good job. But uh, in your book, yeah. uh, you talk about the problems that face Europe, and uh, I'm just reading here from the description of it: the old pathologies of anti-Semitism, populist nationalism, and territorial aggression are threatening to tear the European post-war consensus apart. People have said. Uh, I think it actually might have been. Uh, Ross Douthat of the New York Times, who wrote that Merkel was European nationalism's woman of the year in 2016. Uh, yeah. What What do you make of that? I mean, it would seem to me that, that people watch what happened with Merkel. And when I mean people, I mean European citizens as well as leadership and political parties across the continent. And they said, uh, well, that's not going to work. We don't want to do that. And so isn't that a you would assume that's a blunder on Merkel's part? Yes or no? I, yeah, I do. And I criticized her in the book for it. I thought it was a mistake. I thought it was a well-intentioned mistake on her part. It was actually really out of character her. I mean, she's a very deliberate um, leader. She doesn't really make radical policy announcements. I mean, she's very slow, and she's often criticized 
for sort of leading from behind and, you know, sort of waiting until the consensus forms and then taking a position as opposed to being a kind of decisive leader. Um, so this was very out of character. Her, I thought it was a mistake, but I think that she's kind of realized that and she's, I wouldn't say she's maybe apologized, but she's definitely admitted that um, it was too great of a burden for the country to take. It was not the, the, the policy and the process of it was not, was not handled right. And she's also tacked more to the right on sort of identity and immigration issues. I mean, she came out a couple weeks ago when she was renominated for the chancellorship uh, at her party conference, you know, calling for a ban on the burqa. Yeah, I mentioned that, um, yeah. And she's been tough on Erdogan, who's causing all sorts of problems, you know, trying to rile up ethnic Turks in Europe. Oh, let's, let's really- uh, can, can, we, can I ask you about that, by yeah. the way? Because it's also tying to current events and similar discussion we're talking about with, with Merkel and the rise of nationalist parties in Europe. So the Netherlands, you had Geert Wilders, he, what, he, his party came in second. Uh, they're not, you know, they, they obviously didn't win. People are yeah. saying it's, it's, a, it's a defeat for that uh, brand of xenophobic nationalism or what have you. Um, what's the, what was the whole the spat with turkeys over what? So there's a constitutional referendum in Turkey that would basically give Erdogan even more powers. And there are lots of um, ethnic Turks who live in European countries who have dual citizenship. And he has been campaigning for this by sending ministers to European countries to basically campaign amongst the ethnic Turkish community. And you can understand this might anger uh, some Europeans because they want to try to immigrate these, uh, integrate these people, assimilate them, make them, you know, full citizens. And it's kind of difficult when you have a rather autocratic leader in Turkey uh, riling them up like this and sort of exploiting these societal cleavages. And so last weekend in the Netherlands, they banned, um, well, they actually allowed a rally to take place, but they banned a certain minister from uh, coming from, from the government. And she was sort of, you know, blocked at the border and sent home. And then Erdogan started, started calling the Dutch Nazis and all these, you know, awful names. Um, and the prime minister, who was just reelected, Mark Rutte, who's a center-right guy, I mean, he really stood up strong to Erdogan. And I think it probably had a role in helping him win the election, because he sent a message, you know, to the Dutch people that he wasn't going to stand for this. Were you surprised by the poll out of uh, Chatham House, which for those listening is mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, British equivalent of, of really the, the Council on Foreign Relations here in this country? I mean, the most prominent international relations think tank in the UK, or at least among the most prominent. Not, I don't want to start a start a fight mm-hmm. between the different think tanks there, but it's, it's certainly one of the most well-known uh, in the UK. They did a, a survey, I think it was for a number of countries in the EU, and 55% of the people polled in these European countries said that they want either a, a pause or a full stop in Muslim immigration, I think was what the, uh, the, yes. the choice was. It was over, it was majorities in eight of the ten countries that were surveyed favored what Donald Trump called for, which was a stop on all Muslim immigration, period. It was slightly surprising because I think when you, you think of Europe, you think that they're more, I don't know, you know left-wing on these sorts of issues, multiculturalist or whatnot. Um, and while I knew that the more Central and Eastern Europeans were more hostile to Islam and Muslim immigrants, I was a little taken aback by the numbers from the, more, from the Western European countries. Um, and this is why I think it is so important for you know, mainstream political leaders to not just sort of dismiss any question about Islam or its place in Western society and the concerns that people have about you know, parallel societies that develop among Muslim immigrants. I think they, they, these concerns cannot just automatically be dismissed as irrational or racist, because what happens is that those people, they don't go away, and, what, and, and, and if there's no one, if there's no responsible leaders who will take their concerns into account, they're going to end up supporting 
the unscrupulous, you know, demagogues, as, as I describe in my book, people like, like Geert Wilders. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing all over Europe. I think that's, that's a large reason why these parties are, are doing so well. We're speaking to James Kirchick. His book is The End of Europe, Dictators, Demagogues, and the Coming Dark Age. Uh, why is, and this is the last question I'll, uh, I'll leave you with, James, uh, why is a dark age coming for Europe? Why are we facing the end of Europe? Well, the end of Europe is not necessarily the end of the EU, or it's not something so catastrophic as a, as a war. What I, what I fear is basically the reversion to, to nationalism and the, the types of political arrangements that existed in Europe not so long ago, before the process of integration took place, where we have uh, sort of amoral governments that, are, that are, uh, don't stand up for liberal values, that are prostrate before Russia, and that are willing to basically have transactional relationships with the Russians. And the Russians would like nothing more than to divide the continent. That's what, that's what their entire foreign policy strategy is, is based upon. It's about dividing uh, the West uh, in, in, into a bunch of small little countries that they can then deal with on a one-to-one bilateral basis. And if we don't stand together as a Western community in dealing with the revisionist powers like Russia or China or Iran, then I fear that the liberal values that we stand up for as a, as a free country will be overtaken. James Kerchick is the author of The End of Europe. You can get it on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com. James, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, team, we're going to hit a break. We'll be right back. Interesting uh, catch here by, uh, what was this? This was uh, the site Twitchy. Is that right? Yeah. That uh, the Washington Post initially had the headline up, uh, and look, they you can change you can change a, a header. People do it all the time, but this is an interesting change. Uh, immigrants are now canceling their food stamps for fear that Trump will deport them, and they changed it to immigrants are going hungry, so Trump won't deport them. Because I think a lot of people would say to themselves, "Hold on a second. Uh, I was under the impression that immigrants would not be able to qualify for food stamps because there is, in fact, a provision in immigration law that says that you cannot become dependent on the state. You have to be self-sufficient if you're an immigrant. That makes sense because you don't want to be turning America into a soup kitchen for the whole world. You don't want to turn America into a welfare uh, center for the entire world. But we have debts already that anybody who's looking at the numbers going into the future would say it is unlikely we will be able to ever pay, and they're getting worse. One part of Trump's budget that I think didn't get nearly enough attention is not only did it not touch the 75% of spending that is automatic, it doesn't do anything about the fact that we would be running about 450, I think it was, billion dollars in debt. That that's not that is a that is nearly a half a trillion dollars added to the debt. So that's not good. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that budget, and we'll talk more about that if we have time in the next hour. Uh, but a few things about food stamps, and, and this piece, by the way, it was just, of course, telling you about how, because Trump is so mean and he's and he's deporting people, um, there are concerns about immigrants, or immigrants are concerned that they're on food stamps. The Department of Agriculture data is that 1.5 million non-citizens received food stamps in the 2015. So... That means 1.5 million people officially who were not born in this country are on food stamps. What pretty sure the immigration laws say you're not you're not allowed to be dependent on the state. 
Uh, and by the way, when they say non-citizens, I wonder how many illegals. I know they say illegals can't get food stamps, but I bet if we were to really look there, we'd find out that there are, are plenty of illegals who are getting food stamps. Um, but when they look into, when you look at the law itself, actually, there are eligibility uh, loopholes for food stamps for immigrants, including uh, refugees, and there are a few other categories that can apply that that can actually get. Uh, full federal benefits. And we're not even talking about illegals in this context. We're just talking about non-citizen immigrants into the country. So Washington Post, uh, very, very quick on the change there, because if Americans found out that there are a lot of people showing up here that are on food stamps, they might ask, why is that happening? Buck Sexton with America Now. We are bold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Hour three is upon us, team. We can take action movie quotes whenever you like or anything else you've got in mind. Freestyle Friday means phone lines are open and we can take them whenever. 844-900-2825 as the uh, gentleman on the voiceover just said a moment ago. And I just want to say that I see CNN here reporting that the DOJ report to Congress, the Department of Justice report to the Congress, does not confirm President Trump's wiretapping claim. That is CNN reporting just now on this. Uh, Let's go. We've got a guest coming up in a moment, but all of you are guests who call in in your own way. Rachel in Oklahoma, you are on the Buck Saxon Show. Welcome. Oh, wow. Thank you. And first of all, congratulations on national syndication. Thank you. Um, I've been listening since you were on Saturdays, and I just want to say uh, love listening. Thank you so much. Now, um, up until about June of last year, I actually worked for my state DHS and did food stamp eligibility, and part of it was for immigrants. And if a legal permanent resident has been in the country for five years, they are eligible to receive food benefits if they meet all other criteria. <clears throat> what are the other criteria? Um, there's household size, there's income limits, there's, there's other things that in, are involved in the process of determining eligibility. Um, so if they meet the household size, they meet the income requirements, they could potentially be eligible if they've been in the country for five years. Oh, okay. But isn't there usually a provision in law? I, I mentioned that there are loopholes, and you're telling me there's a five-year loophole. I think also refugees <laughs> fall into the loophole because mm-hmm. there, it's not supposed to be the case that immigrants are going to go on uh, welfare or public assistance. My understanding is they're not supposed to be uh, under the, right, I mean, under federal immigration law, but then they created these carve-outs. I can't speak to federal immigration law because I've not had any any experience with that, but it is in national food benefit policy from the USDA that they are eligible. And illegal immigrants don't actually get for themselves, they get for their citizen children, which you and I both know that they're eating the food that they buy with that. That's what I was was about to ask you. I was going to say, if you're you're an illegal and you have children born in this country, well, then you can get food stamps for the children, right? Right. Now... They is it based on household size, though, still, or how does that work? Yes, it is still based on household size and income level. And, of course, it's really hard to verify income for an illegal immigrant unless you've got an employer that's willing to give us give the state a statement about how much they actually pay them. 
Hold on one second. So just just so I'm just so I'm clear, and you said you you worked for an office that that d- distributed uh, what SNAP is it was that right Su- supplemental nutritional yeah, assistance program stamps. food stamps yeah. If you are an illegal immigrant and you have a child in this country and you are in a household of five, let's say, once that child is born, you can get food stamps for that child, and the food stamps that they get are based on the household size. It's it's different. They prorate the amount of countable income that applies to that child, and they base the benefit on that prorated amount. But so, so if I'm an illegal immigrant and I show up to the to your office and I say, "Look, I'm not even." Let's just say that I was being very upfront about all this. You know, I was like, I just, you know, I, I came here from That's Ireland. I, I came here from Ireland. I'm I'm illegal, and now I've got a, and not just because I'm half Irish, not just because it's St. Patty's Day, by the way. Um, and so, uh-huh. uh, so I, I came here illegally. I had a kid here. Um, I have no income at all, and I've got I've got four other dependents at home. What do I get? Uh, it depends on the state that you're in. <clears throat> it depends on um, whether or not those other dependents are eligible, quite frankly. Um, and it depends on any other contribution income to the household. Okay, but theoretically, so, if I said I have zero dollars of income, a household of five, and only one citizen among the whole bunch, my child that I had here as an illegal, can I, I can I get paid for the five people? Or I mean, not paid, but food stamps for the five people? No, you just get paid for the one. You just get the food stamps for the one. You only get for one. Okay, so this is what I was trying to get at. So I was right. wondering what the... All right. So, but then there's... That, by the way, how... Do you think that food stamp fraud for illegals is widespread? Did you have any sense of that at all? It's really hard to tell because, again, a lot of them come in as being basically self-employed, which means, of course, no taxes are being withheld from their income, so they get paid cash. Let me ask you this. Did you have to verify Did you have to verify citizenship status in order to get somebody on the state uh, uh, food stamp roll? You run the Social Security number that they declare through the Social Security database, and if it comes up citizen, that's good enough. So if somebody has a fake Social Security number, comes into your office or came into your office when you're working there and said, this is my Social Security number, I want food stamps, it comes back as positive, they can get food stamps. If it doesn't conflict with anybody else's social security number on there, we can't. It's not the job of the frontline caseworker. Oh, no, I know. I'm just I'm trying to figure out what actually happens Uh, here. Well, if if we had a suspicion, basically what we did was we told our supervisors and they escalated it up from there. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Uh, anything else I should know about this? I mean, this is it's uh, it's interesting to have somebody listening who really understands how the food stamp program works. So I really appreciate you uh, letting us uh, pick your brain about this a little bit. Anything else that you just wish people knew about this that they wouldn't otherwise know? Well, in the time that I worked for Oklahoma Department of Human Services, I was there for three years. I would say that probably about 80% of the cases that I took were genuinely people who just needed a little bit of help just one time. Uh, There were some that I kind of rolled my eyes and said, okay, go get a job, but under my breath, of course. (laughs) Um, And that wasn't as, as prevalent as a lot of people seem to think it is. All right. Well, look, that's, I mean, it is a program to help people who are, who are down and down and out and having a tough time. So that's good to hear. Uh, Rachel right. in Oklahoma, thank you so much for calling in. I'm sorry, do you have something else? You're very welcome. All right. Shield side, thank say. you. 
Um, Emily Zanotti is our guest, and she's been very patiently waiting for us. Thank you so much, Emily. She is the political editor at Heat Street, and we're going to run down some stories from Heat Street with her. I feel like we should call this Zanotti's Hot List or something, because, you know, Heat Street right. and Hot Stories, and yeah. What do you think? That sounds good to me. Yeah, I love maybe it. we could even, like, come up with a cool uh, intro of some kind for you. So I, I, got, plan- I got plans for you, Zanotti. So tell right. me, uh, tell me some of the, the things that, <laughs> tell me about the things. Uh, let's start with Yale <laughs> fresh, uh, Yale may change freshmen, Yale University may change freshmen to first years because sexism. Yes. You know, Yale University has actually solved all of the problems on campus. And now they've said that we can no longer call first year students or incoming students freshmen because the term is gendered. And now we have like 37 genders. So we can no longer say freshmen. We need to say first years. That way we're not offending anybody who identifies like as a dog or something. Oh, man. This is, uh, I think Amherst, we were in the, either they were starting to do this or they were deciding too soon. They were changing it. Yeah. First year, second year, third year, because we can't say freshman Mm -hmm. anymore. And uh, I don't know. I'm sure they'll find some way that sophomore is part of the patriarchy, but. Right. Sophomore might think like sophomoric, like I'm an idiot. So maybe they mm-hmm. should change that. I don't know. Yeah. It's me. It's me. Sure if if it's you're coming. an idiot, I mean, it's mean, it's mean to not smart people. So there's that. Right. Sophomore means a uh, wise fool, I believe. So, right. um, yeah. Uh, I mean, literally means wise fool for those of you who like to do, uh, you know, wordplay. Uh, but let's get into, oh, by the way, uh, Elihu Yale, as I'm fond of pointing out to people, Yale has been changing. They changed, I think it was Calhoun dorm because Calhoun was a, right southern pro-slavery politician um but they're not changing the name yale university because Elihu, but despite the fact that Elihu yale uh was not just a slave owner but a slave trader one of the people right. that would actually go get these slaves and sell them to other people yeah that's how he was able to afford to found a university was because he sold people this is a perfect example of when the SJWs all of a sudden have to, when it would be tough for them, when they would take uh, take a hit. You know, Yale, what is Yale? It, I mean, it's a university not that different from a lot of other universities. Yale right. is a brand. It's a brand name. And if you change the brand name, eh, people may not think, you know, look at Princeton. Does anybody really want to go to the University of New Jersey or do they want to go to Princeton? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, wait, was it University of New Jersey or University of... Um, we're, yeah, that's right, right? It was the University yeah, of New no, Jersey, or the College of New Jersey, I think it was originally called. So I, I don't think that Yale wants to become the College of New Haven. I think they're going to keep the name, despite the fact that it's named for a slave trader. Yeah, I don't think they're going to admit that it was a slave trader. Now, you know, you get a job right out of college if you go, I'm from Yale. Now, if I'm from the College of New Haven, sounds like you went to the community college in the middle of Connecticut. Right, P.S., I mean, there probably is a college in New Haven. I'm sure you get a lovely right. education there, but it's not It's not Yale. You're not a Yale not man Yale. if you go to the College of New Haven. So we'll see. I, I they're, they're changing names here and there, but they won't change the name of the university because it's too valuable to them. Actually, Emily, I know we went long with that uh, that caller, but I was fascinated by the food stamp discussion. Can we keep you through the break and we'll talk more on the other side? Yeah, no problem. Okay, Emily Zanotti is a political editor at Heat Street. Uh, HeatStreet.com is her site. We're going to come back with more stories. But first, you're looking for home security. I get that. But thousands of people who just want to secure their homes and their personal effects get ripped off all the time. You see, the home security industry wants to get you locked into a long-term contract. And once they've got you, then you're writing huge checks. That happens month after month 
and there's just no way out. It is robbery by contract, my friends. It can cost you thousands. You're just trying to prevent robbery. Don't get into a contract that robs you. So the answer is Simply Safe. Simply Safe has no contracts, none. You're going to get award-winning 24/7 protection, named best in the industry. It is only 14.99 per month. Visit simplysafe.com/buck to check out their new high-definition camera plus you can get 10% off any order. That's 10% off. All you have to do is go to simplysafe.com slash buck, simplysafe.com slash buck. Go now, check it out, simplysafe.com slash buck, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, team. We've got Emily Zanotti, political editor at Heat Street on the line. Zanotti's hot list, because Heat Street, makes sense, continues now. Uh, Emily Tell me about what happened with Representative Steve Stockman and how, wait, first of all, he's famous for hotel room hot tub parties. I did not know that. Yes. So Steve Stockman is actually one of my favorite, I'm a weirdo, so I have favorite congressmen, but he is actually one of my favorite congressmen, but he was indicted yesterday on a major election law breach. He actually ran a nonprofit starting in 2011. This is all alleged according to the complaint that was filed in federal court. He ran a nonprofit that took in a $350,000 donation, and then he and two of his employees ended up concocting a scheme that allowed them to actually take that money and use it in their personal account. So the federal government is saying that he got this $350,000 and he managed to use this himself. But Steve Stockman has been a weirdo since the first moment he entered Congress. Uh, he's... He uh, hosted hot tub parties at his house or in his hotel room during CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Congress. Uh, When he ran for Senate against John Cornyn, he actually disappeared for a little while. No one knew where he was. His campaign office got condemned. We have pictures on the site of his campaign office, and it's it's really horrifying. So this guy is is definitely a treasure. Oh, wow. And he's... he's, uh the federal government once they go after you on that corruption stuff that can be that can be rough um the australian this is this was crazy uh, hard yeah. turn here everybody a teacher in australia uh, a, a grammar school teacher like a lower school teacher uh quit and has complained about how she was being threatened by five-year-old they were kids of of muslim background uh, mm-hmm. uh muslim immigrants with, they were threatening her, these are five-year-olds, with, with beheading? Yeah, so these were five- to seven-year-old kids that she'd been teaching in the school. And we came to find out, or at least the Telegraph came in possession of documents from this particular school in Australia, finding out that this woman had complained that her students not only harassed her, they hit her, they threatened to behead her, but they were also bullying other students. So they were telling students who were not Muslims in their class that they were going to be stoned. They were threatening girls, calling them dogs, ganging up on them and hurting them. And this is a major problem with the school. And we only found out because this particular teacher filed a complaint. I'm wondering, and I don't know, but I'm assuming it might be in there, or at least I'm guessing. Did she say that this was that political correctness prevented the school from disciplining these kids? Yeah, actually, she says that political correctness has completely whitewashed this entire incident. So if you call the school district, they will tell you that nothing has happened, that certainly they have taken in these immigrant children, but it's all been a very smooth ride. But 
privately they have these documents where we have them saying that they've had to discipline students, they've had this teacher, they've actually had to compensate the teacher for all of the abuse she took at the hands of five to seven-year-old children. Now, I will say, I mean, it would be tough to be scared by a five-year-old as an adult, so that's a little strange to me. I'm assuming, I, I can't, I'm picturing my head, I mean, five-year-olds are really small, right? Uh, but I guess also it's pretty terrifying to hear a five-year-old say that he wants to behead you. That's not normal. That's not normal behavior you'd expect from a kid that should be watching like Barney the Purple Dinosaur or whatever kids, I don't know what kids watch these days, but something like that. <laughs> I guess Barney. Um, but yeah, she was saying that their kids were radicalized themselves and they were actually torturing other children for not reading the Quran, not applying Islam particularly well. They were very, very radicalized at just kindergarten, basically. I mean, these are five-year-olds. I have a seven-year-old nephew, and I'm not afraid of him. But it, like, and they were these, I, these are kids that were brought to Australia, not born. It said in the piece, I believe, they're immigrants, yeah, right? These are immigrant they're children. They're immigrants. These are immigrant children. Um, it wasn't clear whether they were refugees or if they were just coming to Australia from other places. But yes, these were immigrant children who immigrated um, in their childhood sometimes before they were able to talk. Now, this is one of these stories that I, I don't think anybody would argue that this is like the release of the Pentagon Papers or something, but I find it in interesting because, first of all, weather in weather on the East Coast, particularly weather that's going to affect Washington, D.C., up to Boston, <laughs> the, the Acela Corridor, as it's called, for the Acela uh, High-Speed Train, uh, that gets so much coverage in the news. and all. I, I can imagine if I lived in Idaho, for example, I'd be like, I don't care about your snowstorm in New York City, but of course it gets, you know, it, it can become like the main, the main uh, headline on some of the biggest news sites in the, across the country. Uh, and we are, I see here on Heat Street, snow scandal, weather service, new snowstorm wasn't so bad, but didn't change predictions. Was this just because they like all the attention? You know, they're like the heroes of, of the hour or what? So this is my favorite story that I did all week. This there is like we a go. Major cover up. No scandal. We should have like a dun dun dun. We, we need like a music. Yeah. <laughs> I want like one of those TV overlays with all the music. Yeah. So the National Weather Service found out on Monday that the snow wasn't going to be that big of a deal, but they decided not to say anything, even though the East Coast was basically panicking from New York to DC. They decided not to say anything because they were afraid that if they told you that the snow wasn't going to be as bad, that you would not trust weather people anymore. But, of course, then we found out that they all had a conference call and decided not to tell people, so now I don't trust weather people anyway. Wait, so they, they didn't change their prediction because they thought if they did change it, people wouldn't trust them? But that, that right. I don't, I don't, I'm actually missing this even from their perspective, because if they change and they're right, well, then, we, then they're right. I don't get it. What, what is right. that? No, they, they just said that they were afraid that people would lose faith. People already don't have faith in their local weatherman, so they were afraid that if they had what they call the windshield wiper effect, that they went from 18 to 24 inches on one hand to 2 to 6 inches on the other, that people were like, you're crazy. I can't believe you anymore. I can't, I'm not going to go out and buy toilet paper at my local Walmart because I know you're wrong. So they said they were just going to take their lumps when it happened. Did you see, I don't know, this was making its way, making the rounds on Twitter, because whenever there's going to be severe weather in New York, I assume this is true in any city across the country, but certainly in New York, 
if you go to Whole Foods, it's like everyone's preparing for the apocalypse. You know, they're right. they're just you know we're, we're, everyone's got their their gluten free bagels and and whatever else they whatever else they need their soy mocha lattes and all. That. I mean, look, I drink this stuff, so I'm not. I mean, I'm not throwing stones here. I'm just saying they. Uh, but there was a, a photo making the rounds of a loaf of. Uh, it was the entire shelf was bare, but there was a loaf of uh, raisin bread, and the caption, oh, right. and, and the caption was, you know, help, we're we're running out of food, raisin bread. I'm here for you, everybody. No, that's okay. And I was like, it's why yeah. rough day for raisin bread, you know, raisin and bread. In Chicago, we clear the the shelves of bananas. I'm still not. I still have no idea. But whenever we have a major weather alert, whether it's summer or winter. People rush to Walmart to clear out the shelves of bananas. Bananas are delicious. High in the glycemic index, though. A lot of sugar. Just letting everybody know. All right, Emily Zanotti of Heat Street. Everybody check her out on uh, heatstreet.com. She's E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. Emily, have a wonderful weekend out there in Chicago. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. And, uh... Got some, we got some mellow tunes going. That's right. We're gonna gonna get Friday started right, you know? Oh, yeah. See, I can play, like, angry music here and be like, oh, like, the Democrats, the dead, we're all it's we're all going down. But it's Friday, everybody. It's action movie quote Friday. We're having a nice time. It no longer smells like there's a fire near the studio, which was a little, little freaked us out a little bit there for a while. So that's nice. You know, you got to be thankful for the small things. Uh, if you've got an action movie quote, give me a ring. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Otherwise, uh, I'll probably break this mood with some North Korea possible war talk. We'll get into that more. He's an ex-spy trained by the CIA who knows how to outsmart the enemies of liberty. What I do have a very particular set of skills. Buck Sexton with America Now. Team, your mission, should you choose to accept it, call the Freedom Hunt Operations Center, 888-900-BUCK. Make contact, unless you're under hostile surveillance, 888-900-2825. I see some members of the team have decided to make contact. They must not be under hostile surveillance. Uh, Let's take Brent in New Mexico, uh, WNTM. Buck Sexton, Shields High, man. Brent, Shields High, buddy. What's up? Oh, I just got a quote for you. See if you can get this one. You there? Yeah, I'm li- we're listening for this quote, man. We're excited. All right, here we go. Okay. Just ask yourself, what do, rem- what do women really want? You take these bored housewives married to the same guy for years. Right, this is from True Lies. This is Bill Paxton. May he rest in peace. From True Lies, yes. I'm glad you got that one. Another true lie? A lot of true lies today, you know? That's the second one. Am I 4-0 oh, no today? I'm crushing it today. My my claims to be a ninth degree action movie quote black belt, I think. A Chuck Norris level action movie quote black belt are in fact accurate so far. Yeah. Buck slap. We got to start doing more buck slaps too. I got to make that happen. Thank you, Dramos, for that. Uh, Brent, anything else you got for me? No more quotes, though. I, I, I'm gonna no. go. I'm gonna go out on top tonight. I'm gonna. I'm going out the champ. I don't want to get anything wrong. So, I'm just kidding. Anyone else can call, no, but you can't. No, no follow up quotes. But what, what, anything else you got first? Are we good? No, just on a side. You'd never get away with making that movie today. Not, not in a hundred. Oh, years. true lies. No, pro- probably <laughs> not. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, probably not. Um, oh, no. De- oh, my. And then the more I'm thinking, oh, no, definitely not. There's there's, uh, there's Islamophobia. There's the patriarchy. There's all kinds of stuff going on there. Bad, bad, bad. But, Brent, thanks for calling it from New Mexico. Shields high. So true of a lot of movies, by the way. Uh, there's something there's something about Mary, which everyone I, I ever asked about that movie who saw it when it came out, it's like, oh, that movie's so funny. You could never, you never get away with making that movie today. You'd be picketed. Uh, there'd be protests, all all kinds of trouble when when you look at there's something about Mary. Uh, no way. I'm trying to think of other movies that would fall on it. You know, when they did the uh, retrospective on Robin Williams's life, I thought that was really telling to see where we've gone in terms of comedy uh, in this country and, and what is now no longer permissible. They were showing some of Robin Williams' funniest moments with these different, you know, after he after he passed away. Uh, with some uh, excerpts of of bits that he did, and a lot of what he did was characters and voices, and you know, foreign foreign voices. <gasps> oh my gosh! Um, and they were some people co- uh, complained, criticized it, said, "Oh, that's really that 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 thing he did was insensitive." Robin Robin Williams now too controversial would be too controversial for comedy. At least some of his bits would be. Because nothing is allowed to be, uh, nothing is allowed to be funny anymore, and, and you risk way too much in trying to just make people laugh. Uh, unless you're making fun of conservatives, Christians, and uh, white males, that's then you're on, then you're on solid ground all the time. Alan in Alabama, WNTM. What's up, Alan? Hello, Buck. Good to good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, sir. Uh, I have a quote. I think it will be an easy one, but it's one that I actually like, so I'll give it to you. And it, it is. There are two types of people in the world, some with guns and some dig. So dig. Uh, yeah, I was going to go I was gonna go 4 no, and now I'm going to go 4 and one I don't, Yeah, what is it? That would be the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm not with the Westerns. I, I, I've already said that. I, I, I do. There is some protest here that Westerns aren't really action movies. Uh, I know there's a lot of action in them, but I think it's a different genre. I think the Western is its own genre, and there can occasionally be crossovers. But anything that's a Western, honestly, anything that's a Western, with uh, even with Clint Eastwood, uh, I got I got nothing. I, I haven't seen them. I, I need to catch up on these. All right. Fair enough. All right, my friend. Thank you very much for calling in. Shields High. I appreciate it. All right, we got another. Now, now I'm going to start. I was going to think I was the champion, you know, undefeated, and sure enough, here I am. I was going to. I was going to go home tonight, the, the Ivan Drago of, uh, of movie quotes, and you must break you. Brian in Florida. He's got a quote for me. What do you got, Brian? What's up? Shield tie. Shield tie, man. Um, it's an easy one, but it used to crack me up when I was a kid. Ready? Yes, sir. I let him know. Oh, Commando, let- when he drops the guy that he's holding by his feet off into the <laughs> ravine. Can we just all take a moment that I I let him go? That's all he said, and I managed. And we're not. I promise you, everybody, we're not. We're not screening these beforehand to find out what's going on. We just go right to it. But yeah, no, Commando is is a. Yeah, we haven't got enough Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Bruce Willis. uh, Not enough of those quotes in here yet. Carl Weathers at his finest. I mean, there's some really good stuff that we're missing out on. So, Commando is all is a great action movie and is utterly preposterous. Like the the oh. running around, I've never seen somebody sprinting with an M60 in one hand and doing quite so well with it. That was amazing, and 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 well on full auto the whole time, no less. It's pretty cool. 
<laughs> yeah, if you were firing an M60, that that would be tough. That would be tough to run around. And also, hundreds of dudes with uh, M16s, the bad guys, none of whom can shoot a guy who's just like walking around with a a vest. Nothing on underneath the vest, by the way, because you know the real gun show was Arnold's biceps. Um, and yeah, Brian in Florida, Shield Time, man. Thank you for calling in. I was going to talk about some serious national security stuff. We might have to push this to. Because now I can't close this show. I can't close the show. And I can't. I guess I can. Well, we can talk about McCain and Rand Paul and Senator Rand Paul having a uh, a little back and forth on some stuff. Um, but I think I'll have to do that. No, let's get into that. I'm going to get into that now. I'm going to get into that right now. Why not? Let's do it. So we'll do a turn here for a second. So McCain and Rand Paul. Here, here's what this is about. Uh, Montenegro, a tiny country in the former Yugoslavia that had been part after the Uh, Balkans Wars of the 90s have been part of Serbia, now broke away, is its own country, and Montenegro wants to become part of NATO. In fact, NATO has officially asked uh, to, or offered to bring Montenegro in. Now you think, well, there's already, what is it, 28, 28 countries in NATO, I think? I'm doing this from memory, but I think I'm probably right. Uh, There's uh, Montenegro, I suppose, to be the 29th, uh, and it seems like it's pretty straightforward country that's in Eastern Europe that wants to come join the NATO bandwagon and great, right? Rah, rah, freedom. Problem is that the Russians have a particular connection to and affinity to, well, the Serbs and and also Montenegro specifically. And of course, as we know, Putin is picking places on the, well, on the Russian geographic periphery, but also places including Syria where they have interests and pushing those interests rather aggressively. Um, and there's this led to a discussion between Rand Paul and uh, John, or not a discussion, a back and forth between Senator John McCain and Rand Paul. And here is what Senator John McCain had to say. I know you thought that was him, didn't you? It wasn't. In fact, it was Buck here in the Freedom Hut doing his best John McCain impression. Uh, Clip 67, McCain ripping Rand Paul. Go. I note the the senator from Kentucky leaving the floor without justification or or any rationale for the action that he has just taken. That is really remarkable. The only conclusion you can draw when he walks away is he has no argument to be made. He has no justification for his objections to having a small nation be part of NATO that is under assault from the Russians. So I repeat again, the senator from Kentucky is now working for Vladimir Putin. Whoa, hey, slow down, slow down there, Senator McCain. Saying that he's working for Vladimir. I know that he meant that figuratively, but that's especially in this climate where Russia and Putin, you know, Putin is the global boogeyman now. Putin is, we're all supposed to be so scared of Putin's Russia. And they're, they're, look, they're subverting elections. They own the White House. They, you know, he walks around sh- sh- shortless, very strong. Uh, this is this is the this is the time when you have to step back and say, hold on a minute. You shouldn't be saying that somebody works for Vladimir Putin. That's a bit too strong. Uh, but now, keep this is over Montenegro, and the, the point here is that uh, the point here is that Senator Rand Paul's like, we're already twenty trillion in debt. We're going to bring another country under our umbrella of protection in NATO. Uh, there's also Montenegro's had some issues recently. Very recently, there was a, a reported coup attempt with some Russians, uh, alleged Russian 
uh, infiltration, and they I think there was even supposed to be an assassination attempt. So there's and there's a, a back and forth with Kosovo over the border. So they, look, it's a new country, it's a very small country, but it's strategic real estate from the Russian point of view, and it also sends a message. And if we bring it into NATO, of course, then it stabilizes the situation even more. Um, it's not like I think hostilities are about to break out in Montenegro. But anyway, Rand Paul has a different point of view on this. And But he, him and John, Senator McCain, they're having a little bit of a, this is sort of the hawkish neocon meets the uh, surly libertarian. And this is how it goes down. Play clip 68, please. Well, you know, I think he makes a really, really strong case, you know, for term limits. Um, I think maybe he's uh, past his prime. I think maybe he's gotten a little bit unhinged. One of my favorite articles of the last couple of years was one that talked about the angry McCains. And if they, if we put active troops and got involved in combat where McCain wants us to be, they put a little angry McCain on the globe, on the map, and it's virtually everywhere. So his foreign policy is something that would greatly endanger the United States, greatly overextend us. And there has to be the thought, whether or not it's in our national interest to pledge to get involved with war if if Montenegro has an altercation with anyone. Dude, brah, way harsh. (laughs) Case for term limits. Uh, That's, that was, it was, I could tell Rand Paul did not, Senator Paul there did not, we we should get him on the show by the way. Uh, Senator Paul did not, did not appreciate the accusation that he is working for Vladimir Putin, but this raise, there's a very serious, but I think I'll have to touch on North Korea and, and Tillerson's trip and all that on Monday. I was going to do that tonight, but I got, I, I'm not going to lie to you, I caught up in action movie quotes and and talking to some of our uh, phenomenal call-ins tonight, including the 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 young man, very young, who's a member of Team Buck, who, who said Shields High on air. That's like one of my all-time favorite radio moments, first hour of the show. And those of you listening who didn't hear it, by the way, a way to do that is to go on iTunes, type in Buck Sexton with America Now, and then click subscribe, and you can listen whenever you want. We're also on the Stitcher app, so you can go to stitcher.com or download the Stitcher app, and you can listen there. And, of course, on iHeartRadio, all ways to listen, uh, digital ways to listen to the show. All he needs an internet connection. Uh, And, of course, thank you to all our affiliates across the country. 844-900-2825. Freedom Hut will be back in just a few. Yes, I, I'm br- I, I bring you good news. Uh, Vladimir Putin has launched his own perfume for women who admire the Russian leader. This is from the sun. This is a real thing. Vladimir Putin has a perfume worn by women because uh, they like Vladimir so much. Wow. Vladimir Putin perfume. This is a real thing. This is a real thing, and they are on sale in Moscow. Uh, Ode Putin, I guess you could call it. Yeah, Ode Putin is right. Wow. Okay. That's the thing that I saw in the news cycle today that I was not expecting. A couple more, a couple more things, calls I wanted to take here. Uh, Nick in Kentucky, welcome to Freedom Hut. Hey, Buck, Shields High. Shields High. I just wanted Thanks. I just wanted to say that I think this whole uh, Vladimir Putin talking about Rand Paul work, uh, you know, I'm sorry, John McCain talking about uh, Rand Paul working for Vladimir Putin is uh, just absolutely inflammatory. It's it's an insane accusation. We're talking about a man who has 
you know, served his country honorably as a senator and worked in the private sector as a doctor for years. And, and I, I mean, I think that he should, he, you know, someone needs to call him out on it. Uh, probably, you know, Mitch McConnell, <laughs> which, uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's just, it just kind of makes me angry to be honest. I, I, you know, Republicans should work. Can together. I just, can I just jump and, in real quickly, Nick? I mean, I know I'm the radio host, so everyone hears me talk a lot, but I can't remember the last time when John McCain said something about a Democrat that was really rough and over the line. I can think of a bunch of things he said about Republicans, though, that were like, whoa, hey, Senator, cool it. Right. It kind of makes you wonder who he's working for. Um, and and it, it, to be honest, uh, really, it, we should be more about uniting the party than this sort of petty, ridiculous accusations like the, it's, it's, it goes along the line, like we're blaming Trump for working with the Russians and all that, and, and we're talking about senators who might have had conversations with diplomats, and, and, and really it's all absolutely ridiculous. If these were Democrat conversations, the media would never even talk about it. But instead, because the Republicans actually have gained strength and gained power, and Trump has actually, you know, gained uh, respect from a lot of people who kind of didn't really know what was going on <laughs> with Trump, and now we're we're there. And and I'm and I do like what he's doing, and I think he needs to. We need to move forward with a lot of the things he's trying to do. And I think him and Rand, who were at odds before, can work together, and we can actually get things done. But anytime another senator says a senator's working for Vladimir Putin, that just I mean, we're taking 50 steps backwards before we can take two steps forward. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's rough stuff. Uh, thanks for calling in, Nick from Kentucky. Uh, Dan in California, KFNY. Hey, Dan. Hey, Buck. Uh, how you doing? I'm good, sir. Closing up the show here in a I few minutes. I, uh, yeah, I got a movie quote. Uh, I want to set it up first, okay? Two police detectives in their car in pursuit of the uh, bad guys. They're going along down the road. They lose control, slam into the building. The detective on the passenger side gets out of the car, looks over, and there's old couples laying in bed. And he says, can I use your phone? And the old, old guy points over there. The guy grabs the phone, dials, and he says, uh, yeah, we need a tow truck. Uh, yeah, third floor. I got nothing. What, what is that? Uh, freebie in the bean. I've never, I've never, Freebie and the Bee, is that even a movie? Is this like, is this like a YouTube thing? What is that? No, 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 that was a movie It was released on Christmas Day in 1974. James Caan and Alan Arkin were the detectives. Wow, you guys are getting, you guys and, are getting obscure on me right now. This is some, <laughs> I, I mean, look, it's an education for me, but I'll have to check that one out. I feel like it might be on Netflix. And, Dan, have a, have a great weekend and a happy St. Patty's Day. Shield time, man. Thank you for calling in. Speaking of St. Patty's Day, can we get a little... You know? Hey! Happy St. Patty's Day, everybody. Yeah, that's right. Now, I know a bunch of you probably realize that Scottish bagpipes usually have three pipes, and that's right. There you go. Thank you, sir. And Irish pipes tend to actually have two traditionally, so there's a difference between Scottish and Irish bagpipes. I'm just saying. Today is the day that we celebrate... Uh, the, the man credited with bringing Christianity to Ireland. He lived in the 5th century A.D. Uh, now he's known as St. Patrick. I was going to tell you more about his history, but I have literally run 
uh, up against time here. Um, uh, maybe we'll <laughs> next year. Listen to the show next year, and I'll do a full history deep dive on St. Patrick himself. Uh, and with that, I think we are pretty much at uh, the point in the show where I tell you again, uh, please do follow me on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Have a uh, happy, fun, and safe rest of your St. Patty's Day and uh, St. Patrick's Day and enjoy yourselves over the weekend. I'm excited to hang out with all of you next week, Monday, and the rest of the week after that, of course. Shields high.